good story. I love a really good story. And maybe you're a good storyteller, so I enjoy having conversations with you. Uh, even if you're not a good storyteller, I enjoy having conversations with you, so don't, don't take it personally. But I love a good story. And I'm not so much a good fiction reader in the sense of stories. Like, I, I love a good book, but fiction probably isn't my main go-to. But I love a good story like a great movie or a great TV series, which I will binge watch that should have been a movie. I love a story where the characters can draw me in and I could start to be like, what is going on? What is their world like? And it starts to have some twists and some turns. I especially love a story where there's unexpected things happening. One of the things I like the least is watching a movie and going, oh, I know what's going to happen within the first 10 minutes, which unfortunately is a lot of movies and TV series and even books. But I love a good story that can draw you in and it makes you start to wonder, like, what's going to happen next? Another thing I don't like so much is watching a movie with someone who asks questions about the movie while you're watching it. I'm sure you're not some one of those people, but I find it hard sometimes because I'm trying to get into the story, and all along they're asking the questions like, oh, what's going to happen next? And it's like, I don't know. I'm watching it with you. It's, it's as surprising to me as it is to you. But what's even worse than that sometimes is when I pay to go to a movie theater, and it's not the person I'm with who's asking the questions, but the person behind me asking questions, and I'm thinking, please, just watch the movie. It's understandable, though, in some ways, right? Because sometimes when we're watching a movie or we're reading a story, we're following along, but sometimes there's pieces we feel like that are missing, or maybe we're just not too sure of how things are working out. So it would be normal to kind of ask some questions, be like, well, how does this work? Like, what is going on here? And again, I don't think you should do that in a movie theater, but it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to wonder, like, what is really happening here? Because sometimes, even though we're seeing something, we're not always fully aware of what is going on. And so just like in a good movie where you're watching the movie and the story is unfolding, the story of your life is unfolding right around you all the time. And sometimes what's unfolding right around you, you can see it, but you might not have insight as to actually what is happening. And sometimes the story of your life can be very, very confusing. And so it would be understandable to start asking some questions like, what exactly is happening here? And hopefully there would be some people to help guide you and see, well, what is this that's going on in the story of your life? In a good story, there's plot, there's characters, there's events that are unfolding, and as they unfold, they draw you in. And just like in your life, there's a story that's unfolding that's drawing you into it, as well as others around you, to what God is doing in your midst. And sometimes it's hard to see that. And sometimes it's so hard to see that, that even when it's right in front of us, nothing makes sense. Even when it's right in front of us, we can start to wonder, like, well, why did this happen? Or is there purpose behind it? In the Gospel of John, we are entering into a story, the story of Jesus, and we're seeing what is happening all around him. And as we see it, it should be normal and expected to ask questions of, like, why is this happening? Or does this make sense? In fact, it's one of the questions that seems to come up throughout the Gospel of John. Why is this happening? And to try and make sense of it, the best thing to do is to stick to the main character, Jesus. In the same way with our life, as we see things happening around us, it might be best to stick to the main character, who isn't you, but actually Jesus as well. 
So we're going to jump into the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at a story where there were things happening all around them, and it might not have been so obvious as to what it was all about. In John chapter 9, we get into the story that some of us might be familiar with, where Jesus does something miraculous. And as he does this miraculous thing, there's some doubts as to the significance of it. There's also some doubts as to the viability or the value of what Jesus is doing and who Jesus is in the midst of it. But it's all meant to point us to something much bigger and better than what's right in front of them and right in front of us. So in John chapter 9, we're going to start with verse 1. Can you click on the thing just for me? Thank you. So it says this, as he went along, so this is a common theme throughout the gospel accounts that Jesus is often traveling. He's walking along with his followers. Sometimes he's solo, but often he's with his followers. So as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. So this is the context of this story in John chapter 9. So Jesus is traveling with his followers. They're walking along, and they see a man who's been born blind. That's what we know about this man. He's blind. He cannot see, and he's never seen before. So this is where the story starts. Jesus is traveling. He sees a blind man. Oops, sorry. It says this. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So his disciples, as they're walking with Jesus, they see this blind man too, and we don't know anything of his context. We don't know what he looked like other than the fact that he was blind, so he could not see. We don't know how old he was. We're going to make some assumptions in the text later on about how old he might have been. But we don't know anything about him except he was born blind. And the first question that Jesus' followers have is, whose fault is this? And now for us, looking at it, we might go, wow, that seems pretty presumptuous. Like, why are you accusing him of sin or his parents of sin in this context? And because for us, we wouldn't say like, oh, just because you're sick, whether it's a severe disease or a cold, it's a result of sin. But in a first century context that Jesus was existing and living within, that is how they presume the world worked. And to some degree, they were right. Because the reality of our existence, of our world, is that it is tainted by sin in a general sense. In the beginning of scriptures, in the story of Genesis, we get the story of Adam and Eve. And in this Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, everything is the way it's supposed to be until people decide they could do better than God. So they choose to disobey God. And the consequence of that choice is that sin enters the picture. And because of sin, the world is broken. Where there was no disease, now there is disease. Where there was no pain and suffering, there is now pain and suffering. So to some degree, this first century view of the world that sickness is a result of sin is true in a general sense. But in the specific sense that Jesus' followers are asking, it's the wrong question. Oftentimes, people would think, okay, it's got to be somebody's fault that something has happened. And so in particular, in this case, it's sickness. And sometimes you might wonder that even yourself. You might get sick and you might go wondering, what did I do wrong for this to happen? Now, I'm not talking about the common cold or even COVID or something like that, but sometimes we get real scary sicknesses, things that we would rather not have to be thinking about. 
things like cancer, things like heart problems, things like mental health problems. And we think, what did I do wrong to deserve this? Or what did my parents do wrong to deserve this? Now, if you go to a counselor, they'll tell you all about that. But Jesus' followers are asking this question, and it's not the right question. And Jesus has this great way of saying that's not the right question. He says this in verse 3. Sorry, Mark, I'm having some issues here. There we go. Thanks. It says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that he works, the works of God might be displayed in him. So the disciples ask, okay, whose fault is this? His parents or his? Which was a generally accepted question within the context that they're asking the question. It's not the question that probably we should be asking today as to why someone gets sick, but in his world, that was the right question. That's what people would be asking. There would be an assumption that either someone down the line did something against God, so therefore this boy was born blind, or he did something wrong and he was born blind. And we've got to wonder, well, what would he have done when he was born? Like, did he punch his dad as soon as he came out? Did he, you know? It should get you wondering, like, how could they be thinking this? Jesus' point is this. He says, this happened, and I think those two words are really important. This happened. This happened. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes sickness happens. Sometimes disease happens. Sometimes disasters happen. Sometimes great suffering and tragedy happens. And it's not anyone's fault. Sometimes you go through things and you didn't do anything wrong. It just happened. Sometimes you did do something wrong and you need to own that. But sometimes things just happen. A car accident just happens. Did you run a red light? Maybe. So then you own it. You did nothing. It just happened. A disease sometimes just happens. Suffering sometimes just happens. And that's Jesus' point. He says, this happened. It's not a question of who did it or why it was, or like who was at the root of it, but he's going to a why question. He says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This happened so that through this person's life, there's a demonstration of what God has done and is doing that's going to happen. Sometimes when we go through suffering, sometimes when we go through illness, sometimes when we go through things that just don't make sense, the natural choice that we make is to question God in it. We go, why, God, is this happening to me? Like, what did I do wrong? What did they do wrong? Why was I raised in this place? Why are these things happening to me? And that is a normal reaction that most of us have. But the mistake that we make is we think that it's actually about us. And the bigger picture of our story is that it's God's story that we get to play a part in. And sometimes what we go through is actually not for us, but for other people to see God at work. Sometimes when we go through suffering, the purpose is that we persevere through it so other people could see that hope is possible. Sometimes it's actually not about us because we're not really the main character, even though we try to be. Jesus' point with this man who was born blind is that it's not anyone's fault that he's blind. It just happened. It's the reality that we live in a broken world. Bad things happen. But because it happened, God can be revealed. Because you've gone through difficult times, God can be revealed. 
Because your marriage is a struggle or was a struggle, God can be revealed. Because you've gone through sickness and illness, God can be revealed. Because you suffer, God can be revealed. And you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound very fair. And truthfully, it's not. Sometimes it's not fair that you're going through something horrible. But it happened. What do we hope for because it happened? We can either enter into the suffering and make the story about us and our sorrow, or we can go, maybe God's going to do something in my life, and maybe it'll be better than I can imagine. And that's what this story is about. A man who was born blind, not because of what anyone has done, but because it happened. It's reality. And Jesus says, well, it happened, and something good can come from it. I'm going to jump ahead a few verses. It says, after this, this is the fun part. Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now, I don't know the whole context. I don't know if Jesus asked permission to do this. I would hope he did, but, you know, he's God, so I'll trust him. Uh, personally, I, you know, if you came to me saying my eye hurts, I would not spit on the ground and make mud and put it on your eye. I think that's kind of gross. But Jesus does it. So why does Jesus do this? And so if you're familiar with the story, you might have some different ideas as to why this might be. But there's something unique going on in this passage that Jesus chooses to spit, make mud, mix it, the, you know, kind of create a paste and put it on this man's eyes. Well, one thing is that in Genesis, if we jump back there, well, how are people created? They're created by the mud of the earth. That God's spirit uses the dirt and humanity is created. In this moment, Jesus is bringing his full humanity and divinity and spitting into the mud and bringing a change about. There's a mixing of the divine and the natural in this moment, just like in creation. Now, I'm not saying that's the absolute answer to this question, but it creates a great picture as to what this could be all about. The fact that something that would be so considered unclean, like spit or human fluids, would be used in the story by Jesus is also really significant. In the text, as he continues, he says, he says, Go to this man, wash in the pool of Siloam, which the word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So let's think about the scenario. Jesus and his disciples are walking. They see this man who's been born blind. They don't know the whole context, but we know the point of the story is he was born blind. As they see the man who's born blind, Jesus' disciples say, whose fault is this? Did he do something wrong or did his parents do something wrong? And Jesus flips the question and said, you know, that's not the right question. There's a new category. It just happened. And because it just happened, God's going to do something great. So what does Jesus do? He makes some mud, puts it on his eyes, and he tells him, go and wash. Man goes and wash, washes his eyes, and he can see for the first time in his life. Never seen before, and he can see. This man had to go and wash, and I don't, like the text doesn't tell us, but I don't know how he got there. I don't know how far away the pool was from where he was sitting or standing. I don't know if he had to crawl on his hands and knees. I don't know if he had somebody help him. I don't know if he was trying to push through a crowd. I don't know those details. But he had to put some effort into the fact of going to the pool and washing. He had to trust that this man who just put mud on his eyes was saying something good. Go and wash. 
And he had to trust it, not by anything that he'd seen, because he'd never seen anything, but just by the words that were said to him, and also the words that had been said about Jesus to him. He had to go on what other people were saying, probably just rumors to him, because he never saw Jesus. He just had to trust it and then act accordingly. So he does, and he can see. And he says his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? So people see him after he's washed his eyes, and he can see, and I would imagine, and this is just me imagining what this story would be like, because the text doesn't tell us everything, but I'd imagine he has a huge smile on his face. I'd imagine he has some great excitement for the fact that he can see things that he's never seen before. He can see the people around him. He can see where to go. I would imagine there's some excitement in the healing that just occurred. And people see him. And they see him and they wonder, is that the guy? Is that the guy who used to be out there? Who was blind? They said some claimed that he was and others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself said, yeah, I'm the man. And I love the way this says that, I am the man. It's like, I am the man, you know? It's like, yeah, this happened. I used to be blind, and now I can see. He's going to say this later. As people see him and see his exuberance and see his joy that something is different, people start to wonder, is this really the guy we thought was begging? And he's like, yeah, I am. I am. He says, how were your eyes opened, they asked, which is a great question to ask. If you ever meet somebody who can't see, then all of a sudden can see. And the text says, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. Thankfully, he leaves out the spit part. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. He told me to go. I did what he said, and now I can see. Where is the man, they asked him. And his response should be, don't you know the part where I was blind? How am I supposed to know? But he says, I don't know. I don't know. Where's the guy who did this? Of course they want to know who did it. There's this miraculous event that occurs. A man who could never see all of a sudden could see. Jesus flips the question of whose fault it is and says, it just happened. And what we get out of it could be so much better because God is at work. And he demonstrates that God is at work by actually doing what Jesus asks him to do. And he's healed. And as people see him healed, they start to wonder, what is this all about? Could this really be true? Could this really have happened? And he says, yes, it did. And they ask, how did it happen? Well, all I know is there was mud on my eyes. I was told to wash. I did it. And now I can see again for the first time. As the story is unfolding, you think, this is amazing. Everybody should be excited about this. But of course, as any good story goes, there's got to be a villain in it. And there are some villains that come into this story. And that as this twist and turn kind of occurs, we enter into a new group that we've heard about before, maybe the Pharisees, and says this, it says, they brought, so these are the people who witnessed that this man said, I am the man, they brought him to the Pharisees, this man who was born blind. And so the Pharisees are the religious, a group of religious leaders at this time. They are zealous about the rules. They think this is how God works. 
And we want to make sure that God works in this capacity, in this way. And so they stick to the rules and they say, if God doesn't work in this way, then, then that's not from God. They are zealous about it. They are passionate about the law, the Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus had a variety of encounters with them through the Gospel of John already, if you've read through it or if you listen to some of the sermons over the last few weeks online or in person. And as Jesus is having this encounter, this story goes that they brought this man to the religious leaders. It's kind of like, okay, let's see what this is all about. It says, now the day, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Now some of us would be like, oh, Jesus. What are you doing? If you're familiar with the text, you're familiar with the context in which Jesus lived, to do something, to do work on the Sabbath was to go against God. God had given the instruction that you work six days a week, you take one day of rest, that's a Saturday for the Jewish customs, and you're not supposed to work. And so there's a lot of variety of things of what not working means. And one of the things you're not supposed to do, which is actually not within the context of Scripture, but it was an addition by the Pharisees, as they wanted to try and make sure everybody kept the right rules and the same rules, is you couldn't do things like knead dough or mix things together. That's work. So Jesus made mud, which involves some mixing. So this becomes a Pharisee issue. What's going on? It says, Therefore the Pharisees also spoke, asked him how he had received his sight. And the man answers, he goes, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. So his story gets a little bit shorter, more direct. They've asked him, how'd this happen? He says, well, he, being Jesus, put mud on my eyes, and now I see. He says, some of the fairies said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So some of the Pharisees say, if this was from God, he wouldn't break the rule of the Sabbath. They've got this idea of how God works. They've kind of put God into this category, this box, to say these are all the things God will do, and to do anything beyond that is not God. So the fact that Jesus did something against their understanding of their religion, they would say that, well, he can't be from God. But then others in the group said, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. So you have some in the group saying, well, God only works like this. we got to stick to it. And you have others in the group who are saying, well, maybe God only works like that, but he just worked like this. What do we do about that? And so there's this conflict within this group going, well, what, how do we make sense of this? And there's a tension that exists. Because there's some who can see right in front of them that this man who was born blind can see. And they go, well, that's not how God works, because it's not the way we said so. And there's others who can see this man who's been born blind can see, and they go, maybe that is how God works. Maybe we don't have it all together. He says they had, then they turned again to the blind man. He says, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replies, well, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. He's someone who speaks and represents God, he's saying. He says, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? So they went, they send somebody to go get his parents, and his parents come. They say, is this your son? They asked. He says, is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? 
We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age, so he's probably like 18 to 20-ish at least. He will speak for himself. So they're saying, hey, you ask him. Don't ask us. We're new to this too. We just found out he could see. We weren't part of it. And it's going to text is going to tell us his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So these group of religious leaders already decided, the text tells us, already decided anybody who says some things about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, they don't, they're not one of us. They're out. And so these people, these parents are afraid. They've seen a miracle, yet they're afraid because they know what they'll do to them. And you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal? Well, you know, if I, for some reason, I said, hey, you can't come to Bromley anymore, you might be thinking, no problem, I'll go down the street. Well, they didn't have that option. To be kicked out of the synagogue, to be kicked out of their community, to be ostracized from their community, to be looked down upon by everybody else because you're not part of that community anymore. And so these parents rightfully were worried. And they didn't want it to happen. It says... That is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Now there's another thing going on in this text as well that, that you could miss, is that there's no real sense of a timeline as to how quickly this is all happening. There's no mention too much of things. But one of the things that's happening is that it's the Sabbath. And it's the Sabbath that Jesus healed, so we know that's why they're upset. And we know that that's, they're saying that it's not the work of God because of it. But it says this, it says a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. They said, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know that this man is a sinner. We know that Jesus is a sinner. Why? Because he acted on the Sabbath. He mixed some mud. He broke our rules. What are the religious leaders doing? They are going out and getting people to come back to them, possibly on the Sabbath. What is the religious leaders' rules about how far you can walk? Probably they're breaking them just to try and do this persecution. They're breaking their own rules about how much you can walk because they had regulations on how many steps you could do before it became work. To go out and get the parents, then to go out and get him again. They're breaking their own rules to try and make their point. And so they go out and get him again. He says, you know, we know this man's a sinner. Give glory to God. Tell the truth. And this man says one of the most important things that he can say. He says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. This man in the context was blind and now he can see. He doesn't understand fully how Jesus made this miracle happen, how this sign was to come about, but he does know it's a sign. He does know it points to something much bigger than he had ever experienced at this point. And he wants these religious leaders to understand it too. That even as they try to fit God into this box of what is right and what is wrong, he's saying, well, all I know is what I experienced. I couldn't see and now I can. Sometimes we try to fit God into a box like the Pharisees saying, well, this is how God works. This is how I understand him to work. And there's value in trying to understand God, but the reality is he's much beyond our box. 
And more often than not, he wants to kind of break that understanding with us and go, hey, you were blind, but now you can see. That's what you need to pay attention to. That the things you thought would be how God worked aren't necessarily the way God works. Sometimes we try to categorize God and his work to be a certain way, and as we try more and more to do that, we've limited him. And as we limited him, what happens is that we can see things around us, but we never actually perceive it. Jesus in two of the Gospels quotes Isaiah, says that the people will be ever seeing but never perceiving. And in many ways, when we try to say, like, this is the way God is, we can see things all around us of how God is working, but we never actually understand it, just like the Pharisees. For some of us who've been following Jesus for a long time, we think, well, this is how God will work. And so when he doesn't work that way, we draw conclusions that were never meant to be concluded. Sometimes as we experience our own suffering, our own sorrow, we think, well, God has to work this way to free me from this suffering and sorrow. And then when he doesn't, we begin to doubt and be unsure or decide that that's not God then. The story shows us what God's inviting us to see. Is that Jesus, as he sees someone who's born blind, as his followers say, well, whose fault is this? He says, well, hey, there's a new category. It just happened. And because you've gone through this, this man's gone through this, God will be revealed. In the same way as we encounter suffering, as we encounter sorrow and moments, maybe our own debilitating diseases, maybe our own struggles, sometimes there is no point to it other than our own perseverance through it because who God is and to demonstrate that there's hope. As Jesus says, as he says, God will be revealed, he puts mud on the man's eyes, the man is healed. And what is his response to it? Isn't actually the first moment is healing. It's the first moment is to do what Jesus said. And to trust that Jesus said, hey, go to that pool and wash, believing that what Jesus said to him would be good. Not because he'd ever had an experience with Jesus before, but just because he would choose to trust him. In the midst of our own experiences, as we suffer, as we feel sorrow, sometimes we just have to choose to trust that Jesus wants something better for us than we understand or how we think it should work. But if we don't choose and trust, we don't see the results that this man did. He went to the pool, he washed his eyes, all he knows is he was blind and now he can see. This man chose that even though he didn't know everything and how it would work or why it would work, this man chose to trust. Sometimes it's really hard for us to choose to trust God. Then in the midst of what we go through, we think, well, I could do this better. I can make this work. And then we think, if God's not doing it that way, that can't be from God, just like the Pharisees. But whatever you are going through, you're going to face the opportunity to choose to either trust God or not trust God with it. And it's not going to be any more easy or hard than anyone else. But we have to choose. This man chose to go based on what he'd heard other people say. Not from his own firsthand experience, but from the experience of others around him. The rumors that he heard about Jesus turned out to be true. That if he listened, 
and did what Jesus asked him to, he could be healed. He didn't know why it would all happen, but he chose to do it. Sometimes we're trying to wait to know how everything works before we make the decision to move forward. I know I'm like that. I would rather figure out all the variables at play and go, okay, then I'll make my decision. But sometimes Jesus is just asking you to trust him. Sometimes you just have to understand something and not everything. Because reality is, you don't have to understand everything to believe something. The man didn't have to understand exactly how it worked, that mud was put on his eyes and then he could see. But he could believe that the one who did it could make a difference in his life. You don't have to understand everything about why you're going through what you're going through to believe that he could do something about it. But you have to make the decision to trust him with something, even if you're not sure about everything. If anything, I hope you can see some encouragement in the story of this man. That whatever you're going through, as unique as it may be to you, might be part of a bigger story. A story that actually points other people to the Jesus that can heal. Then the midst of maybe as you're trying to understand even before you believe how everything makes sense, you have an opportunity to believe because something can make sense. We don't have all the answers. We never will. But we can choose to trust and act based on what we do know. For this man, it was the story of others. The story of how God had changed things for others that he chose to believe in Jesus. My prayer for you, whether you've been around church for a long time or it's a newer experience, is that you choose to trust God, not because everything makes sense, but because you know of the difference he can make in other people's lives. And you desire that for yourself. You don't have to have everything to make sense to start to do something. But it's up to you to choose to trust and do something. Let's pray. God, I thank you that uh, you invite us into a grander story than just our own. A story that uh, embodies all of us into this world, into what is going on all around us. And then at times it does not make sense. And at times we would rather skip to the end and see the plot line and go, okay, this is how everything makes sense. But in the midst of the story that doesn't always make sense as we have experiences of our own uh, frustration and suffering and sorrow, you invite us to trust you. To trust you even when you don't do things the way we think is best. To trust you even when we're just not sure about what to do next. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we can trust you. We can trust you to guide us to what is better for us than we know now, to what is better for this world than we fully understand. Jesus, you came, you died, and you rose again for the forgiveness of our sins, to invite us into life in all of its fullness. And in that invitation, as much as we don't fully understand it and we can't always make sense of everything, 
you invite us to do something, to follow you. And I pray we follow you, to realize that life in its fullness with you is so much better than life without you. And as we go today, Lord, I pray that we embrace that opportunity to trust you with whatever we're going through, even as we can't make sense of it.